0: I want to speak to you today on the subject, why is prayer so important? Why is prayer so important? And the passage of scripture that Brother Colson read is is a passage of scripture through the years that any time of my calendar year, there is a phrase from that passage of scripture that just speaks to me on a daily basis, I would say, nearly. And so today, what speaks to me from that passage of Scripture, matter of fact, I mentioned to Brother Judah that he said, you know, Brother Colson would like to know what you're using. And so I was going to go in one subject, and I I said, well, Psalm 27 will be my text. (laughs) And about 11 o'clock last night, I texted Brother Judah and said, I've changed my message. And so, but when I thought about it, Note, Psalm 27 still fits because it ties in with our message on prayer. For instance, the Bible says right there in the middle of the psalm, Well, thou settest unto me, seek ye my face. My heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Amen. And so this is so important because prayer if we're really to get in the prayer, we must not say, you know, in essence, I'm Jimmy, 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 Gimme, 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 and that's the way a lot of people think of prayer. That we, we, we get it, we wait till we get into a crisis, we wait until we get in the need, and we start demanding of God to come through with a lot of things when we've been ignoring God. So first, before we seek His hand, we need to seek His face. Amen. People that love each other seek each other's face. We get into each other's face. Uh, I think that's one thing that's been kind of sad about the whole uh, isolation time that we've had is that people that we love, uh, thank God that my wife and I are in the same house. I'm telling you, I've been missing uh, seeing some of the people that I love very much and I've been pastoring for many, many years and I'm not able to see their face. I will say this, it's more painful for me not to see their face than them not to see my face, okay? (laughs) That could be a blessing, but it simply means I'm seeking you for who you are, Lord. You are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides for us. You are Jehovah Shalom. You are the Lord who is our peace. He gives us everything absolutely that we need. He is our provider. He takes care of us. And then at the last of that passage of Scripture in Psalm 27 uh, which begins great in a wonderful way, the Lord is my light and my salvation so he's our source. When we're coming to God in prayer, he's our source. Listen carefully. The government is not our source. A lot of people are wondering, what about our paychecks or what about our jobs? God is, listen, God is your source, not the government. And so he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Then you get to the last of the Psalms and it says this, I had fainted. This is so true. Unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, okay? Now, uh, la- last Friday, God was very good to Barbara's aunt, Aunt Rosie, and that he welcomed her to heaven. She saw the goodness of the Lord fully maximum, okay? But uh, Aunt Rosie didn't have to wait to Friday to see the goodness of the Lord. God gave her goodness all through her life, and God's being good to us right now. Amen. And then he says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen my heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. But notice what he said going back a little bit. He said, I had fainted unless. I fainted unless. The Bible says in Luke 18:1, men ought always to pray, watch this, and not to faint. The antithesis to prayer is feigning. The antithesis to feigning is praying. The Bible says, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Many times people almost take the attitude, why, why pray when we can worry? That, but you know, really, that's not what the Bible's teaching us. God is saying, why worry when you can pray? Yeah. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. And then he said, you know, the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. But in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request. And, and we don't have time to go into what's the difference between prayer, supplication, and request. It all ties together. And I believe I was just looking at a brochure that you'll be in a conference in prayer in October. You can explain that better. Anyway, but let me get on with the message on why is prayer so important. Number one, I would say... Prayer is important because prayer is important to God, okay? Now that seems maybe too simplistic, but let me read you what it says in Ezekiel 22 and 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap. You know, one of the great keys of understanding the Bible, and I think that uh, Brother uh, John, you would agree with me. Brother Moffat, you would agree with me. Uh, I probably should say Brother Pastor, but I, I, I knew him before he was pastor. So matter of fact, every school teacher in South Louisiana said hi, okay, because John was a great team, uh, the reverend here was a great team. <laughs> I, I try to show honor to whom honor is due. I found Steve and Depper working the, the the screen behind me, and it's very hard to treat him other than a little college punk, but anyway, uh, but but I shouldn't say that. Steve was nice. He could cut me off right now, couldn't he? Love Steve, one of the finest friends I've ever had. Um, So anyway, going back to this, I think that you'll agree with me. When you see that passage of Scripture, one way of really understanding the Bible, and I almost feel like being reared up in the suburbs or reared up uh, not working on farms or agriculture, horticulture. I think we miss something because if you understand farming, if you understand ranching, uh, uh, dealing with animals and, and, and crops, you, you have an edge on understanding the Bible because the Bible was written to an agricultural society. I mean from Genesis to Revelation. So in understanding the agricultural society, the farming community, the, the, the ranching community, the, the, the sheep herding, the, the cattle and all this, man, you've got an edge. Because what God is saying here is that the, there's a gap in the fence. In other words, the sheep or the cattle are going to escape. There's a break in the hedge. And so the custom was to usually get the least needed guy to repair the fence, to guard the fence. It didn't mean that he was not as important. He was, like, for instance, a big brother who can operate uh, fencing and, and, and carpentry is needed to repair the fence. But if there's a younger brother, which it usually would be, that is, is not able to swing the hammer or whatever, the saw, then he would be the one that would stand in the gap to keep the sheep from escaping. He would stand in the broken hedge and keep the predators, the wolves, or whoever from coming in. So here God says, I sought for a man among them. We've got a break in the fence. The sheep are in danger unless somebody can get out there in that hedge, in that place, and protect the sheep and make sure they're going to be okay. So what happens is, Many times this text is taken in a Bible conference and the preachers gist will be, God is looking for a man to stand in the gap, to make up the hedge, we need some young men to surrender the preach. And I think that's applicable, but that's not the context. I've been in mission conferences, and I think I hear it this way more than any time. We need to have young men or young ladies that stand in the gap in the mission field to surrender to missions. And by the way, we do, and I think that's applicable. I, I've been in Christian educators' conferences, and they'll say, We need homeschooling mothers. We need Christian school teachers that will stand in the gap, and that's applicable. But the context of the scripture, let me read it to you and see if you catch it, okay? And I saw for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap, here it is, before me for the land. Amen. The gap is the place of prayer. So God is saying, I'm looking for somebody to get between me and what I'm intending to do. You wanted to read what, what God was intending to do? He said, I'm looking for a man that will make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I will not destroy it, but I found none. God is saying, I have every intention. And by the way, God doesn't just say things to be saying things. This is not hyperbole. It is not metaphor. It is not exaggeration. God meant business. He was about to take out people's lives in great judgment. But he said, you know what? I'm looking for somebody that will get between me and my intention and talk me out of it. Now, I want to tell you something. This is sometimes hard to understand how God's sovereignty and man's free will all works together, but it does. It does. And God says, "I, I want you to get between me and what I'm going to do, and talk me out of what I'm going to do. Now, I would say, of course, God's sovereign desire is to save the people. But his desire is to use somebody in the prayer place. So, listen, we need some Gaptists today. We, I, and yeah. more, more, not just Baptists. We need some Baptists to become Gaptists to get into the gap and pray the prize. Why is prayer so important? Because it's important to God. By the way, this is not an isolated way of God moving. You remember when God explained to Abraham what he was about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham starts out with 50, works all the way down the 10, and God says, Okay, I won't destroy the land for 10. Now, God didn't do that just so that you could have a really good family devotion with your kids on Abraham's prayer life. God is teaching us something here. Again, that is not isolated. For we see that in Exodus chapter 32, Moses has now developed the heart of God. It's almost like Moses was placed into the business of leading the people of Israel. He was drafted for the service, but he fell in love with the service of God, but better yet, the people of God that he was serving. And that's the way a leader often is. He's not just one leading the people, but he's serving the people. And God has now explained to Abraham he's about to take out the nation of Israel. It's about four million in number this time. Now, let this sink in for a moment. And God is about to raise the lamb. He's about to take them out. And he's explained that to Moses. And then Moses says in verse number 30, chapter 32, listen to this. And it came to pass on the morrow that that Moses said unto the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. This is Exodus 32, 31. I probably jumped in that before I gave you time to find it. It says in verse 31, Exodus 32, And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, O oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Now, now watch verse 32. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. This is the only time in scripture that you'll find a dash that is here. I couldn't believe it. I checked on this recently and found out that one of the modern versions had left out the dash. And that's a shame yes. because God meant for that dash to be there because what that means is that Moses is so caught up in prayer that he has used the amount of words that he could... Remember the Bible says in Romans 8 that we don't even know how to pray as we well, out, but the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. At this point, he runs out of words. Ian Bounds said this, I would rather have... Prayer without words than words without prayer. And here we see that Moses runs out of words and he's in this moment of time. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin and he just is exasperated, he's just frustrated, he doesn't have any more verbiage, he doesn't have any more nouns or adverbs or adjectives. He has no other way, he has no prepositional clause. He doesn't know what else to say, but he stops. and God says, to the angel, just put a line there because I heard his heart. I heard his prayer. And then Moses picked up the prayer and he said, If not blot me, that I pray thee out of the book which thou hast written. He said, Lord, I, I, I am so serious about this. I'd go to hell for him if I could. We know, of course, that's not possible. When a person's put their faith and trust in the Lord, they cannot be condemned. But he says, This is how serious I am. Now, watch this. You want to see how powerful that prayer is, that dash is? Psalm 106. This is one of those verses. If the Bible had never said this, Brother John, I don't know that I would believe it, but the Bible says this in Psalm 106, verse 23. Therefore, he, that's God, said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he should destroy them. God said, I was going to take out four million people, but because one man prayed the price, I didn't do it. One man changed what was going to happen to four million people. Why is prayer so important? I'll tell you why, because prayer is important to God. It's important to God. Why is prayer so important? Because it permeated the life of Jesus when he was on earth and afterwards. We can only surmise even beforehand what kind of prayer life was going on in heaven before then. But we won't speculate. One of the hard things to do is be quiet where the Bible's quiet and speak where the Bible speaks. But notice what it says. Let me just read to you real quickly. Mark chapter 1, verse 34. Now, I remember in college one of my favorite subjects was the harmony of the Gospels. And I've never let that be anything other than still one of my favorite subjects. Matter of fact, one of the great joys of my life as a pastor was when I went verse by verse chronologically through the Gospels. But I I love the things that the individual Gospels say that the other Gospels don't say. I love the things that they all say. And then I love the sequence of events that would take place in Jesus' life. For instance, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, what is called the end of his busy day. It was called the busy day because there were more miracles recorded on this day than any other day in the history of our Lord. Now, after he had spent the busy day, let me show you the end of the busy day, verse number 34, chapter 1 of Mark. And he healed many that were sick of divers' diseases, that's many diseases, and cast out many devils, he just, not, not a few, just cast them out everywhere, and suffered not the devils to speak. I like that. He shut their mouth because they knew him. And this says, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day. I'll be honest with you. When I have a busy day, I like the idea of sleeping in, not Jesus. He gets up early while it is that dark. He went out and departed into solitary place and there prayed. That was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Real quickly, let me take you to the middle of Jesus' ministry. Mark chapter 14, he fed the 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So it could have been upwards of 15 to 30,000 people. Uh, so anyway, he fed the multitude. He sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee, and he goes up in the mountain. Let me read to you what it says. This is the middle of Jesus' ministry. Mark chapter 14, verse 22, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. I want to show you something here about Jesus' ministry. He could have done all the miracles by the virtue of who he was, second person of the Holy Trinity. But he did all the miracles of the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came down upon him in the form of a heavenly dove. And that's how he did all the miracles. And we see as Jesus did miracle after miracle, that there was an expending of virtue. Remember the woman touched him. And Jesus said, who touched me? The disciple said, moreover, uh, well, everybody's touching you. He says, no, no, no. But somebody's touched me. And somebody touched him by faith. And so... The Bible says, for he perceived, here's the wording of scripture, that virtue went out of him. And the word virtue is dynamos. That's where we get the word dynamite from. Uh, He perceived that a dynamic power had gone out from him. Now, I want to show you something here. This is in the life of Jesus. He did the miracle after miracle, and then he got up in the mountain to and pray. Jesus would give out, then he would take back in. He would give out, and he would take back in. And so Jesus... Matter of fact, Peter said that we ought to follow his steps. Let's follow that pattern. The reason a lot of us give out and then we burn out, we give out, and then we wipe out is because we give out, but we forget to take back in. You see, here's the thing, See, modern man says this, what the mind of man can conceive, he can achieve. So if you go into a bookstore, you can find shelf after shelf of self-help, and I have to tell you sadly, that philosophy has now drifted in the church. I remember I was with a preacher, and he was a great friend of mine, and he preached an entire message on, if it's to be, it's up to me. And after the message is over, I said, I want to tell you something, my brother. If it's to be and it's up to me, then we're all in trouble. I said, let me tell you something. God didn't call us to be great achievers. But you look at the Bible, God sees us giving power from being great receivers. The Bible says, uh, but as many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God. The Bible says, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, ye shall receive power. Power is not achieved. Power is not earned. Power is not something that God gives to people who have great personalities. For it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Here's where the power comes from receiving power and the The great conduit of that is the prayer place, to get in the secret place. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow. I know the crowd's not big in here, but I'm feeling a little bit of liberty today. Amen. So we need to realize that this is what God wants. This is how Jesus did it, my friends. He got up in the mountain and he prayed the price. He didn't have to, but he's showing us how to get it done in ministry. At the end of Jesus' life, we see him in Luke chapter 22. And I love what it says here in verse 39. And he came out and went as he was wont. That means as was usual. To the Mount of Olives and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray. So you see, Jesus was known for his prayer spots. This was what he did as was usual. I don't think it's stretching it too far to make the application. Interestingly, as soon as the devil entered Simon or Judas Iscariot, remember what happened? He went straight to where Jesus was. The devil knows where your prayer place is, my friend. The devil knows where you spend time with the Heavenly Father. So prayer is important because prayer is important to God. Prayer is important because it permeated the life of Jesus. By the way, that was the end of Jesus' ministry. Hours before he died, he's praying. Think about this on the cross. The opening word, Father, forgive them, is a prayer. The middle word, my God, my God, is a prayer. The ending word is a prayer. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? Three out of the seven sayings of Christ on the cross were prayers. What is he doing right now? Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he ever liveth to make intercession for them in prayer. He called out Johnny Pope's name in prayer. He called off John's name in prayer and Roy's name in prayer. He's called off your name in prayer. I'm telling you, friends, if we're going to, you know, What would Jesus do? That's what a lot of young people want to know. WWJD, what would, well, listen, you want to know what Jesus would do? Just see what Jesus did and do what He did. What did He do? He prayed the price. Why is prayer important? Because prayer is important to God. Why is prayer important? Because Jesus prays. He prayed and He prays. Why is prayer important? Because number three, it's, I must hurry, it's a direct command. Luke 18, one, we quoted a while ago, that Jesus spoke a parable to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. By the way, if you don't pray, you'll be fainting. If you faint, it's because basically you haven't been praying. The Bible says, consider him lest you be wearied and faint. And Amen. what is prayer? Prayer is considering God. Prayer is moving apart from your world and your schedule and your... and your things and saying, not my will, but thine be done. I've come before you, Lord, to seek your face. When thou settest unto me, seek ye my face, Psalm 27. My heart sent to thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. First Thessalonians four seventeen. pray without ceasing. Now, three simple words. There's no wiggle room. There's no permission not to pray without ceasing. People have asked me through the years, what does that mean? Does that mean have a prayer spot? and do that every day? Or does it mean pray throughout the day? Uh, All of the above. (laughs) If you have a prayer spot, you will be ending up praying all day. You set the template. You set the pattern by finding a place to speak to God, talk to Him. So many things can happen if we'll talk to God. You know, let me tell you something. Um, I get burdened a lot of times for young people, and one reason I think that a lot of young people are oftentimes filled with doubt, and they go to youth camp, and they make profession of faith, and then they make another profession of faith, and God's not real in their life. It's not because that they didn't mean business back when they were younger when they got saved. Sometimes it is, okay? Let let me just say this. don't want to give anybody false assurance because you can be baptized. So many times that all the tadpoles in the creek know your social security number by heart. But until you're beneath the blood of Jesus, you ain't saved, right? Now, my wife said I need to quit saying that because kids don't carry around cards anymore and stuff, okay? But at any event, uh, I don't want to give anybody false assurance, but I want to tell you something. I have preached for 50 years to teenagers. And I'm telling you, a lot of teens have asked God to, to save them. They really meant business. But then they ignore God till next year at youth camp or next year at youth conference, and all of a sudden God's manifesting Himself, and they say, there's no way I could have been saved because God's not that real to me, and then they pray the prayer again, and then they often doubt again. Let me tell you something. I've never known anybody that had a secure prayer life that doubted, okay? It's important. You can't speak to God on a regular basis and not know that he's real. I mean, that'd be like me this morning. I had conversation with my wife. So I see Roy Moffin. And I say, Roy, good to see you. How's Joe? Joe, jo? she's fine. That's good. Well, Roy, um, I, I, I got some doubts. And, and Roy says to me, well, what kind of doubts? Well, I don't know if Barbara exists. I, I, I'm just not sure. I, I don't know that I ever really married her. So Roy says, wait a minute, Johnny, I was uh, December 21st. I was there at your wedding. I believe you were. I was at your wedding. I saw you kiss her for the first time. Yeah, baby. Hey, I, I saw I said, yeah, but j- j- I don't know. I, I don't, that, that was so long ago. That's 46 years ago, Roy. I, I can't remember what that's like. I'm not going to say that. How's Jojo? She's fine. He says, how's Barbara? Barbara's doing great. I didn't just kiss her 20, 46 years ago. I kissed her this morning. That's what I'm saying. Amen. Hey, man, Barbara's real to me, baby. She's real to me. I've been in fellowship with her today. I'm not, I'm not doubting her existence. I'm not doubting that I have relationship with her. All right. This is what I want to say to some of you right now. You've been ignoring God. You got on the coronavirus thing and you say, man, we got to start praying. You begin to wonder, well, am I even saved? No, the problem is probably not that you weren't saved. It's just that you got saved and you've been ignoring God. See, prayer can really boost your faith like nobody's business because you can't be in prayer without being in the Word. And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And it's a domino effect. But anyway, that went in the outline, but it fit good. Yeah, Yeah, it fit right there. Okay. All right. It's a divine command. That's why prayer is so important because God its not a suggestion. It is a command. Man ought always to pray and not to faint. Pray without ceasing. No wiggle room. You don't pray. You're in disobedience with the Lord. Number three or number four, I think it is. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes people. That's why prayer is so important. Yes. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes me. Um, I got a couple of quotes here. Let me let me share it with you. Samuel Chadwick, the great old preacher, said, "Satan dreads nothing but prayer." The church is has lost its. Presence of Christ and is full of good works. Activities are multiplied and meditation is often ignored. He went on to say that the devil fears nothing from prayerless studies. The devil fears nothing from prayerless work. The devil fears nothing from prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Guy King, one of my favorite commentators in the world to read after, a great Keswick preacher from England, said a lot of great things, but this is one of my favorite quotes of Guy King. No one's a firmer believer in the power of prayer than the devil. Not that he practices it, but that he suffers from it. A lot of truth there. John Flavel, one of my favorite old Puritans to read after, said, The devil is aware that one hour of close fellowship, hearty converse with God in prayer, is able to pull down what he hath been contriving and building for many a year. Yeah. Prayer changes people. Prayer changes things. Remember what we talked about for the first of the message? How that God had every intention to bring danger and judgment upon his people but he said but I'm seeking for somebody that will get between me and my intention and be the intercessor and pray the price Moses another example he prayed and God spared 4 million people Uh, we see that Abraham prayed starting with 50 would you not destroy Sodom for 10 by the way if you remember correctly there were 8 people that escaped Sodom I remember hearing years ago here in R. G. Lee say, I believe if Abraham asked for five, God would have given him five and it would have spared it, because there were eight people that were spared. Now, I, I can't say that. Again, we have to be silent where the Bible's silent, speak where the Bible speaks, but here's what I do know. God points out that what can happen and what is going to happen without prayer will be changed. If we pray, I am so burdened about where we're at right now. Ever since we began to isolate ourselves in this coronavirus thing, I've been thinking about the last passage there uh, in Samuel how that <clears throat> David made a, a drastic mistake, brother pastor. He made a drastic mistake. He had decided to count Israel. Now, the danger was that it was a testament of lack of trust. Remember, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. So when he decided to send Joab out to count the troops, even Joab, one of the few times that Joab had it right, he tried to talk David out of doing this because it is a sign of distrusting the Lord. You're trusting your numbers, your majesty, instead of trusting... Trusting God. Our power doesn't come from how many we have. It is not by our might or power, not by our ingenuity, not by our genius, but our trust is in the Lord. Don't do this. And so David disobeyed and he counted. Now, because he did, God gave him the choice of three things. David chose the one thing of the plague. God will send the plague, but he was trusting God's mercy upon him and the children of Israel. But little did he realize how horrendous it was gonna be. Before three days were up, from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 people had died. Interesting number, that's about what we're looking at with the coronavirus. And that number was coming to me when they were saying there's gonna be two to four million people dying, but now they're saying more like 60, 70,000 maybe in total. That's exactly how many were wiped out when David disobeyed the Lord. Judgment came. But here's what David did, he asked for mercy, he asked for forgiveness, and he was saying, Lord, it's my fault. And brothers and sisters, isn't that where really we begin to find the answer? When we say, Lord, it's my fault. Many times we point fingers. I like what Gypsy Smith said, in order to have revival, let's draw a circle and stand inside the circle and say, Lord, stand in revival inside this circle. It's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. Stand in the need of prayer. And that's what David said. It's not their fault, Lord. It's not the sheep's fault. It's my fault. The shepherd here, it's my fault, Lord. But even before he did that, God had mercy two verses ahead of him. And the Bible says that God looked at the angel of the death after 70,000 people had died. And he said, I love this. It is enough. enough. Stay now thine hand. And God said, that's what I've been praying every day, that God would change everything that's happening right now and will say to the coronavirus, it is enough. Stay now thine hand. Do you believe God is able to do that? I believe he is able to do that. So see, prayer is important because prayer changes things and prayer changes people. And prayer changes the course of our history so that everything can change for God and for good. This is the time that we need to do what the Bible says if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and what? Pray, seek my face. And then he said, don't forget this, turn from their wicked ways. Then while I hear from heaven, and then will I do what? Then while I heal their land, I want to say a word to each and every one of you that are listening within the sound of my voice. If you are not a Christian, if you don't know that if you die now that you go to heaven, the first prayer that God wants to hear from you is not just Lord save America or Lord stop this virus. You know what the first thing the Lord wants to hear out of you? Lord, be merciful Amen. to me, a sinner. He wants you to understand that you're a sinner. Without Jesus Christ, you're going to go to hell. Without Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will go to hell. The Bible says neither is there salvation in any other name. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You can, call, you can call a God anything you want to, but if you don't go through Jesus, you're not going to heaven. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh of the Father but by me. So right here where you're at, realize that when Jesus died the cross, he had you in mind. You want to know how much he loves you? If you've been the only person that ever lived, I believed he would have loved you enough to die just for you. He shed his blood, he died, he was buried. But he did not stay in the grave. He rose up from the grave. A few years ago, my wife and I went to the tomb where we believe that Jesus lay. And guess what we saw when we looked in there? Nothing. He's not there. Hey, he is risen. And he's at the right hand of the Father. Guess where else he is? He's in my heart. and He can come into your heart and he can save you. And then you can pray for God to heal us of this coronavirus. And then you can pray for God to heal our country and help us. But first of all, Get saved. Pray something like this with heads bowed and eyes closed. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my heart. I know you died for me. I know you shed your blood for me. I know you rose again from the grave. I call upon you to save me. Save me now, Jesus, for Jesus' sake. Amen.